0: A 30-year-old woman has a history of widespread body pain and is diagnosed with fibromyalgia. She works a stressful job with irregular hours. Most of her meals are quick and on the go. They include packaged oatmeal, granola bars, beef burgers, and pasta. She drinks five cups of coffee a day and hydrates with diet soda at work. She drinks one glass of wine at night to help her go to sleep. She's constantly in pain and stressed, that she's in pain which makes her pain even worse. She's tried medications for her pain before but it makes her sleepy. She's desperate for options to help her pain get better. A friend suggests for her to go and change her diet but how would changing her diet help her pain? Welcome to The Hurt by Dr. Meera Kirpaker and Dr. Alobi Patel. We are the female pain docs. This is a platform to contribute to the public discourse on women's pain and general health. We are here to empower women and men to engage in the advancement of their health with discussions of evidence-based medicine, unconventional topics, lifestyle modifications, and more. The views contained in this podcast
1: are our personal views and do not represent the views of our institutions. This does not substitute medical advice. Please be evaluated by a physician if necessary. Welcome to another episode of The Hurt. Today, we're going to focus on the nutritional factors that play a role in pain. Now, we've all heard of the term food as medicine, but how does it actually make a difference? We're gonna chat a little bit more about that on this episode. So also, as we've spoken about in this season, there are many aspects of our daily life that can affect pain, including sleep, exercise, stress, and more. What we eat, how we eat it, when we eat it, all of this can affect the way that our body perceives and responds to pain. There are certain foods known to worsen pain and some that can actually help pain. And much of this does come down to how food can either reduce or worsen inflammation in the body. Now, you may have heard of the term anti-inflammatory diet. And as much as it's become a buzzword, there's actually quite a bit of truth to it.
0: So let's break down what makes food inflammatory in the first place. I'm so glad you mentioned that because, yes, that is absolutely a buzzword. But you know what? You're right. There is truth to it. So inflammatory foods are essentially any food source that can alter the bacteria that live in our gut in such a manner that it can trigger our immune system in a way that is not healthy. So inflammation, in other words. Now, you may or may not have heard the term gut microbiome. If you haven't, The gut microbiome is actually a really complicated system with trillions of microorganisms that play an important role in the daily operations of the body. And these microorganisms are essentially bacteria, but they can also include fungi and viruses. Now, when we think of bacteria, fungi, and viruses, we think, oh God, that's bad. But there are good forms of these too. So here, all of these peacefully coexist in a healthy human body. Now, this system is so complex that some scientists even say that it should be considered its own organ system. And each person has their own unique gut microbiome that is influenced by a lot of different factors, including their DNA, how they were delivered, so either via the birth canal or through a C-section, as well as their breast milk. So what microorganisms an infant is exposed to can change an infant's gut microbiome. And as their lives progress, it can eventually be affected by environmental exposures and what food they consume. Now like I said before, it's important to understand that not all bacteria are bad. Most of the bacteria that we have in our bodies are actually helpful to us, but that balance can be disrupted and this depends on a lot of different factors like infections, prolonged antibiotics that can kill off the good bacteria, stress, and certain types of food. All of these can make the body more prone to disease and inflammation.
1: Yep, that is exactly correct. Now, how do these good bacteria actually help our body? Well, they live in the gut, and so they help break down potentially toxic food components, and more importantly, they help make certain vitamins and amino acids. Amino acids are essentially the building blocks of protein, and protein is what really makes up most of our body. So now, some amino acids we can consume in food, and some our bodies have to make, but they're all made in different degrees and needed in different degrees for protein synthesis. And again, protein synthesis is basically building protein that makes up the important parts of our body. Now, like we said, good bacteria are extremely important in this process, but they also play a role in preventing the bad bacteria from overgrowing. So basically, all the bacteria, good and bad, that live in our gut are competing for the same resources. So the more good bacteria we have, the more likely they are to outcompete the bad bacteria and therefore continue keeping our gut health in check. So we can continue making those important amino acids and continue preventing chronic disease. Now, what
0: happens when this balance is actually thrown off, Dr. K? Great question. I'm glad you put it that way, by the way, in terms of the competition, because it really is a competition in our gut. So disruption of this delicate system can cause anything from an upset stomach or diarrhea to sleep disturbances with difficulty in getting to sleep or staying asleep to even fatigue, autoimmune diseases, and food intolerances. And this is a very complex interplay of factors, but can even play a role in inflammatory bowel diseases and certain types of cancers. So bottom line, gut health is really important and plays an intricate part in our daily body processes in inflammation. So now that we know what the gut microbiome is and why it's important, let's talk about what happens if it's inflamed. So as you can imagine, a large part of what can cause inflammation depends on what is actually interacting with our gut and the bacteria in our gut. So food. Food. So here, we're going to focus primarily on food, even though there are many other factors that can change our gut microbiome, which we earlier mentioned, like environment, stress, infections, and more. So in terms of food, depending on the type of foods we eat, it can alter the bacteria that live in our gut. And that change in bacteria can cause a domino effect on our immune system, which in turn can cause chronic inflammation, which can manifest in various ways like we mentioned above fatigue, diarrhea, diseases, and more. Exactly how
1: Dr. K mentioned, a lot of this actually does tie into chronic pain. There is actually significant evidence behind the role of nutrition in acute pain as well as chronic pain. A healthy diet should be a part of every comprehensive pain control regimen. Now, there have been numerous studies looking at how nutrition can affect arthritis pain, fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, and more. And when you really think about it, where is our immune system? Difficult question, right? Because it's not necessarily in one area, like an organ. It's actually everywhere. And there is more evidence that the majority of the immune system cells are actually living in our gut. And therefore, the gut microbiome plays an important role in the immune system. And the immune system, in turn, plays a role in pain perception inflammation can actually make the perception of our pain or how we feel pain worse because the immune system also affects our nervous system. And again, a very delicate interplay of many different factors and multiple bodily systems. So when thinking of food as medicine to reduce pain, our goal should really be to avoid inflammation by either decreasing pro-inflammatory foods or increasing anti-inflammatory
0: food. Exactly. Exactly. So, now we're really getting into what today's episode is all about. How do we use food as medicine? Now, that's a really general term, and we mean in a way that food can play an important role in chronic diseases, including chronic pain. So, now that doesn't necessarily mean that food alone should be used as medicine, as there is a role for actual medicine in the form of medications or procedures as needed, but food should absolutely be considered. In a comprehensive approach to understanding how inflammation can be decreased by eating the appropriate foods and supporting your immune system. So we'll generally go over the major pro and anti-inflammatory foods as they pertain to chronic pain, and then end the episode on how to actually make these changes to your daily diet. Because we know change is hard, and especially when it comes to making a change in our diet in the fast-paced world that we live in. And that brings us to our first point of what foods to avoid. So foods that basically increase inflammation. Now, so you may recall from that vignette that we started at the episode, processed food plays a major culprit in inflammation. So most Americans consume the Western diet, also known as the standard American diet, which is basically a modern day diet that mostly consists of highly processed foods, red meat, high fat dairy products, high sugar foods, and prepackaged foods. All of these can increase markers of inflammation, such as C-reactive proteins, certain inflammatory compounds called interleukins, and tumor necrosis factor alpha. And now, you know, these are just certain markers of inflammation that we look at in a person's body, but this is not a comprehensive list. And in turn, the high inflammatory compounds can cause chronic diseases, including worsening chronic pain. You are absolutely right,
1: Dr. K., And now let's get a little bit more into what types of food we're referring to. So, in particular, when we say processed food, which is a very broad group, think of it basically as how much the key ingredients of the food had to be changed for it to be where it is. So, for example, let's take something like Cheez-Its, one of my favorite childhood snacks growing up, actually. I used to eat it every day. The box even says 100% real cheese. How convincing. But think about how Cheez-Its look compared to actual real cheese. The cheese in Cheez-Its is actually a small part of the actual ingredients, with everything else being enriched flour, oil, additives, and preservatives. Quite different from cheese in its natural form. And another example, which was also something in our lifestyle medicine curriculum, is think of something such as an apple. Let's think of other food items with apples in them, such as apple pie, apple fritter, apple cider, apple donut. The word apple even makes it sound healthy. But think about how an apple in its original state has been modified to make it to the end product. So with each modification, ingredients and the value of the nutrition of the original apple are gone. So an apple in its original state is the best way to consume it and will become less and less nutritious with each modification as it moves from, let's say, an apple to applesauce to apple juice to apple pie. So long story short, when looking at foods to assess if they've been processed, think about the key ingredients in that food and how much they've needed to be changed to make it into that food. You'll quickly recognize that much of the foods that we consume are quite altered by the time we consume them. Moving on to meats, pro-inflammatory meats refer mostly to red meat and any other processed meat meaning something that has been changed from its natural state by processes such as canning, freezing, curing, and other types of cooking methods. So think of deli meats, bacon, hot dogs, pepperoni, and a lot of frozen foods with meats are also highly processed to retain their long shelf life. So again, As a general rule of thumb, it is best to look at our plate and think about everything that had to occur for the food to be on our plate. The less modifications, the
0: better. I'm so glad that you mentioned that. Honestly, I think that's like a brilliant way to think about that, you know, because we often, when we hear like something nutritious in the food, we automatically think, oh, that's probably healthy, but that's such a great way to look at it where you think of how many modifications had to occur for that to end up where it is so I love the cheeses and the you know apple fritters apple pie example because that really touches on that so now you talked about processed foods and meats so now let's talk about some other sources of pro-inflammatory foods that can be just as bad so things like refined carbohydrates so now many people give a bad rap to carbs because of the desire to lose weight by limiting carbs but the truth is that carbs can be really good for you And it really does depend, just like with most of the aspects of our diet, on how much you eat them and in what form you eat them. So let's just quickly review carbohydrates. So now these are complex, unrefined forms of carbs. So items like legumes, vegetables, whole grains, and fruits, which have a whole bunch of healthy benefits as much as these, and also high in fiber, which, by the way, is really great for your gut microbiome. And I want to mention here that fiber doesn't mean the fibers that you think of in like meat, but actual fiber as in carbohydrate type of fiber. So gut bacteria literally feed off of fiber and thrive from a balanced high fiber diet. So these are good carbs. Refined carbs, on the other hand, are carbohydrates that are generally processed. So like Dr. P mentioned... So these may include sugar, food with white flour, so foods like bagels, bread, tortilla. They can also include rice, cereals, pasta, pizza. So again, thinking back to what Dr. P said, think about how much the original food source has changed until it makes it to our gut. And the truth is, white flour is highly processed and often bleached or chemically treated, and all of these changes decrease the nutritional value of the food. And I know this is, this is not fun to hear that, you know, your favorite foods like pizza are considered pro-inflammatory, but unfortunately, it's true. So foods with less whole ingredients and more processed ingredients just take more time and energy to digest. And when they interact with our healthy gut bacteria, they produce pro-inflammatory markers. So now let's quickly touch on sugar, So, which is another highly processed refined carbohydrate. So we all know sugar is not healthy, right? But in general, it can be quite pro-inflammatory and a high sugar diet can actually worsen chronic illnesses, including chronic pain. So yes, that fudge brownie may seem to be like a really great quick fix when you're feeling low or when you're hungry and you just want to eat something quickly, but that initial sugar rush will fade And the stress of digesting the sugar will increase the pro-inflammatory markers in the body. But again, everything in moderation is healthy for our mind and bodies. So we're not saying you have to cut everything out of your diet, but more so to be thoughtful about your diet and understanding the effect that food can have on chronic pain.
1: Oh man, I totally know what you mean. And especially with the next food group, which is one of my favorites, so dairy, but In this case, I'm particularly talking about high-fat dairy. Now, I love cheese, and dairy in general is a very controversial food group in terms of inflammation because it does have many benefits in consumption. It has calcium, vitamins, protein, but dairy does come in many forms, and it can be consumed either as low-fat milk or yogurt or cheese or butter, etc., Hence, the controversy as to whether dairy as a whole food group is considered inflammatory or not. Now, the consensus is that high-fat dairy can be inflammatory. So this includes foods high in saturated fat, such as cheese, whole milk, heavy cream, and butter. Other foods, such as low-fat yogurt, low-fat milk, may not be as anti-inflammatory. And actually, certain dairy products, such as kefir, can even be anti-inflammatory. And if you haven't heard of kefir, it's a fermented milk drink that almost tastes like yogurt. It is high in probiotics, so basically the good bacteria, and can help keep the gut microbiome thriving. So don't write off all dairy as pro-inflammatory. The chances are that a well-balanced diet with low-fat dairy will not worsen your chronic pain. And as Dr. K said, everything in moderation. Low-fat dairy consumed in the form of low-fat milk, yogurt, or kefir can still provide you with the necessary vitamins and proteins. Now, we have a lot to cover, so we're still going to move on to what foods you can actually increase in your diet to help with pain. We just covered a bunch of pro-inflammatory foods, so now let's move on to the anti-inflammatory foods. Now, as you can imagine, anti-inflammatory foods are quite the opposite of pro-inflammatory foods. So they're not processed or minimally processed, and they're consumed as close to their original state as possible. And unsurprisingly, this list includes vegetables, fruits, whole grains, and even certain teas. These foods contain anti-inflammatory compounds such as carotenoids, flavonoids, vitamins, and more importantly, fiber. If there is one thing you take away from this episode, make it fiber. Fiber is good, and especially if it comes in the natural form of vegetables and fruits. Our gut bacteria thrive off of these healthy sources of
0: fiber, and it's the best nutrition you can give your body. So going into a bit more details about these anti-inflammatory foods, it really comes down to some of the compounds in the fluid, such as, like you mentioned, flavonoids, vitamins, omega fatty acids, and more. So starting with flavonoids, These are basically chemicals that are found in these foods that can reduce inflammation, which in turn can reduce pain perception. And flavonoids can be found in foods such as berries, onions, apples, green tea, and even red wine. But again, in moderation. So other key compounds include carotenoids, which have been shown to decrease inflammation in the central nervous system, aka your brain and spinal cord. And these can be found in red, orange, and yellow-colored fruits and vegetables, so things like carrots, tomatoes, peaches, squash, and more. Now, you may have heard the term omega-3 fatty acids, which are a good type of fat and can be found in certain types of fish, so salmon as well as other foods like flax seeds, chia seeds, and walnuts. So these have been shown to reduce inflammation and be especially helpful for joint pain and stiffness. And lastly, I'll end with vitamin D. So That's a big fan favorite. It's gotten a lot of publicity recently, and it definitely lives up to the hype. So vitamin D is really important. It's a really important vitamin that plays a key role in many bodily functions, including immune function. So there was a big study, a 2017 systematic review and meta-analysis that found that vitamin D supplementation decreased chronic widespread pain. So foods rich in vitamin D include salmon, fortified milk, dairy, or non-dairy. So that's important to note. Non-dairy milk also can contain vitamin D. And really, most of our vitamin D actually comes from sunlight. So just spending a few minutes a day in the sunlight, you know, particularly like in the deep sunlight around noon when it's the brightest, can get you enough vitamin D on its own but another reason why dairy may play an important role in the form of low-fat dairy products.
1: Now, I want to wrap up this episode on a few key points. One, there are many other nuances to our diet that can affect inflammation, and this includes how food was prepared, so steaming versus curing versus roasting, as well as spices in the foods, how much of the foods we consume, as well as when we consume it. So, That determines exactly how much insulin is released in the body. But either way, there are many factors as well that can affect inflammation. But really the key takeaway to this episode is to be more aware of your food, what we are eating, how we are eating it, and how we can substitute certain foods for healthier options. So going back to the lady in the vignette, yes, we may live fast-paced lives, but there are many different ways we can substitute foods for healthier options. So instead of a packaged oatmeal bar or something, you can try a banana or a fruit and substituting as many of our packaged or processed foods with whole foods such as vegetables or fruits. And that brings me to the second point. Balance is key. Food can certainly help worsen pain and it can also help reduce pain. But the key is to maximize anti-inflammatory foods while trying to reduce pro-inflammatory foods. This doesn't mean you can't ever have cheese again or eat a cookie again, especially when we're in holiday season. And what do we even think about our diet when we're in the holiday season, right? But it's all about understanding that all of these things can play a role in pain processing and to limit the consumption to allow healthier eating habits to take place to nourish our gut microbiome. And third... Food can certainly be medicine, but it is not the end-all be-all. There are certainly times, depending on the source and type of pain, that medications may be needed, or procedures or interventions may be needed, and that's okay. But a healthy anti-inflammatory diet may help reduce the pain, even if it's a certain small percentage. So we hope this episode shed some light on how food can affect pain. And remember, this is just an overview, and we'll get more into the nitty-gritty on season three. Thank you for listening. We would love to hear your thoughts. Visit our Instagram at the female pain docs for more content. Send us an email at the female
0: pain docs at Gmail. If you have any topics in particular, you would like us to discuss. You can also visit our website at www.thefemalepaindocs.com. See you next time.